Jesus' teaching is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. He tackles tough issues head-on. Here is what Jesus says about revenge and how Christians cope with the yearning to get even. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat as well. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Well, the last few weeks we've been talking uh, about the Sermon on the Mount, and we have come across some very, very difficult passages that have uh, that have hurt some of us and maybe, uh, well, wounded, I, I guess is, is the right way to put it. Well, at the end of the day, I hope that all of us understand who we really are. That's really what the New Testament does, and that's particularly what the Sermon on the Mount does. It's like a mirror held up to us to show us what's really in our hearts. And I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to hear this. And so this morning, I'm praying that your hearts uh, would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and there is good news for you today. And if you're here today and you're, you, you still feel pretty self-righteous and you still feel that as, as a whole you're a pretty good person, then I sincerely doubt that you really understand the condition of your own heart. Uh, that's not a very comfortable thing to hear, and a lot of people don't want to hear, but that is the fact. We are so desperately in need of divine help. We need the help of God because of who we are. Now, if you're here today and you feel disturbed by the condition of your heart, you feel disturbed by your own failings, that's a good sign because it means that you understand that you need outside help. And if you need outside help, the good news is that God has provided help, and his name is Jesus. We call him our Savior. In the late 1800s, Mahatma Gandhi came in touch with the Sermon of the Mount while he was in London. Some of you will recognize him. And he drew great inspiration from Jesus' teachings in the sermon, especially where Jesus says to turn the other cheek, to, to not resist those who are doing evil. He, he loved this idea of doing good to people who are doing evil. And he was so impressed with this that this Sermon on the Mount became an important part of his whole philosophy of nonviolence and non-resistance. In fact, many have been affected by his teachings, uh, Martin Luther and Nelson Mandela and, and others. He believed that if we're going to change the world, we could do it nonviolently through protests. And in fact, if you know your history, you know that it was through Mahatma Gandhi, that Britain left India. Britain ruled India for at least 200 years, and now they're gone 
because of this peaceful protest. Here's what Mahatma Gandhi says in his own words. He says, Christ's Sermon on the Mount fills me with bliss even today. Its sweet verses have even today the power to quench my agony of soul. The Sermon on the Mount left a deep impression on my mind when I read it. I do believe with you that the real meaning of the teachings of Jesus will be delivered from India. He believed that Christians didn't know how to deliver the message of the Sermon on the Mount, but he believed that once he once he took this teachings of the Sermon on the Mount to the Indian people, it would be the Indian people who would in fact deliver this teaching, this message from Christ. Well, here's the thing. As noble as this sounds, as wonderful as it sounds, the fact of the matter is, is that he didn't really understand the teachings of Jesus Christ. He remained a Hindu. He never did surrender his life to Christ. In fact, even though he assimilated and loved the Sermon on the Mount into most of his teachings, he did remain Hindu. If you read the teachings of Christ, if you know the message of Christ, then you know that if you're embracing Christ and his teaching, it is impossible to be anything but a Christian because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as with so many people who read the Sermon on the Mount and read Christ's teachings, he, along with these people who don't understand, they fail to understand that Jesus is addressing the condition of our heart. Everybody in this room today needs the Savior. Why? Because our hearts are, are always set on doing evil. That's, that's who we are. And even when you can't detect it, even if you think that's not who you are, the Bible declares that that is who you are. This is what God says, that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So the Sermon on the Mount reveals to us what our actions and our attitudes should be, but also reveals what our, that we are utterly incapable of fulfilling God's commands. Now, I've got to remind you, as Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he is just reiterating what has already been said in the Old Testament. And Jesus has told us in Matthew chapter 5 that he has not come to do away with the law. He's come to fulfill it. He's come to make it clear to us. So Jesus, in his teachings, he is not doing away with the law. He's helping us to understand God's standard, God's high standards. Now, the problem is, is that so many of the Jewish people were misunderstanding the Old Testament. In fact, they were coming to wrong, or we could even say evil, conclusions. It's critical that you and I understand God's standards, and this is why we need Jesus, because Jesus makes it clear to us what, in fact, the standards of God are. So here we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. And Jesus says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. 
And if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. And if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Get to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So let's take a look at this because a lot of people do not understand this law. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, from Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. All of these uh, almost, uh, well, three of the five books of the Pentateuch are talking about, about this law. This was a legal standard. And here's the three things that you and I need to understand about this, because some people use this to say there should be no capital punishment and, and we, should not, we should not punish those who have done evil or who've broken the law. This is wrong thinking. This is, a, a, this is a twisting, first of all, of what Jesus says. And, and, and worse than that, it's, it's the world's attempt to be better than God. God clearly tells us an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So here's what you need to know to understand the teachings of Christ and to understand what is truly God's will. First of all, this command here is prescriptive. What I mean by that is it simply tells us or teaches us how justice should be carried out. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's not an eye for an arm and a leg, but it's an eye for an eye. That's it, period. It's not a tooth for uh, my feet. It's a tooth for a tooth, period. So it's prescriptive. It teaches us how, how the justice system should operate. You need to get that. The second thing is it was, it was restrictive. In other words, it tells, us, it tells us what to do and it tells us what not to do. So supposing uh, some guy down the street cuts off my brother's hand and I think, uh, well, the Bible says retribution's okay, so I'm going to go and I'm going to knock off his head. And then the other family says, well, you knocked off my brother's head. Now we're going we're gonna to kill all the people in your family. And what we're seeing happening here is what we call escalation. Now, this is what Jesus is addressing. Jesus is addressing this human instinct to escalate. So, for instance, you wake up in the morning, you're listening to praise and worship music on your way to church, and before you leave the house, you're listening to Andy Stanley or you're listening to Charles Stanley, uh, and you think, well, I'll listen to this first and then until I get to, to church and I hear, hear the real message of the day. And uh, you get to church, but on your way to church, somebody cuts you off, and now you're thinking... You're not thinking about church. You're not thinking about God. You, you forget you're a Christian and you're ready now to teach that guy who cut you off. You're, really, you're going to teach him a lesson on your way to church. And, Jesus, and the Bible does say an eye for an eye. And so you're going to cut him off. And while you're cutting him off, you're going to give him the finger. And uh, you're going to let him know that nobody pushes me around because I am a child of the king. This is literally what was happening in Jesus' day. They used the law, they twisted the law to do whatever they wanted. 
And then there's one other thing you need to know about this law that's offered in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, is that this law was given to the nation. It was the standard that was to be used by the judicial system. It was not something that each individual would go ahead and carry out on their own. Critical that you understand that. The law was not designed to be settled by individuals who are swept up in a personal vendetta, but rather this law was given so that judges in the land of Israel could judge according to the will of God. But by Jesus' day, something happened. It became too easy to see the law as prescriptive and only marginally restrictive. What do I mean by that? Well, they saw that the Bible says, yes, an eye for an eye, but they didn't, they didn't hear the restrictions. It's only an eye for an eye. And so what was happening is that people were, were not just getting an eye, but they were getting both eyes or, or doing far worse. We're going to get even, and we're not going to just get even. We're going to escalate this thing and take it up to a whole new level. And this, my friends, is what Jesus is speaking out against. Here's what I know, and here's what you know about yourself. When it comes to being offended or hurt, what do you want to do? You'll want to get even. You feel in your heart a vengeance, an anger. I'm going to get even. Now, you may not carry out what go, what's going on in your heart, but in your heart, you've, you've, you're getting vengeance. You're imagining, you're dreaming of a scenario where you are teaching that person a lesson. And not are, only are you doing to them what they did to you, but you're taking it up a level or two. And some of you actually do that. You actually do take it up a level. Jesus is telling us there's no room for this attitude and this behavior in the life of a believer. This is not how we function. Jesus is telling us that retaliation and taking matters into your own hands is not the way to deal with these things. In Jesus' day, something very terrible was happening. People were actually commandeering the law of God and using it in their own personal arena so that they could carry out their own form of justice. But what was happening, friends, is that they were carrying out their bitterness, their malice, their hatred, and revenge. And this is what Jesus is addressing here. He says, this is your problem. You're allowing bitterness and hatred to take over your heart. And so Jesus is, therefore, I'm telling you, do not resist the one who is evil. If someone does evil to you, Jesus says, let him do it. And he gives four examples. Now, I need to point out to you, when we talk about resist, that Greek word, resist means uh, do not fight the one who is evil. Do not oppose the one who is evil. Do not battle them. Don't challenge them. In essence, Jesus is saying, as much as it is possible, just let them do their thing. And don't, watch this, don't get dragged in. Isn't that, isn't that what has caused all the problems and all the relationships, relationship problems you've ever had? You got dragged in. Because rather than listening to Christ, rather than, 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 than going forward and... Uh, 
and just ignoring the, the one who's doing evil, you engage with them. And the next thing you know, you've got a mighty battle on your hands. I was thinking of um, a man who was in a, a theater, and you may remember this, it was back a few years ago, an elderly man in, in, in America, not in Canada, and some kids at the top of the theater there were, were making noise, and he turned around very crankily and said, would you shut up? Would you be quiet? I'm trying to listen to the movie. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. And now he's getting angry. And, and rather than just yelling at him, they, were, they, they ramped it up and they started making more noise. And next thing you know, he pulled out of his pocket his gun and he shot one of the kids. And of course, he's in jail now. What happened? It's called Escalation. And we've all, we all have experienced this. We all, know it. we all know of examples where this has happened. You maybe have experienced the horrors of escalation in your own marriage, in your own family, at work. Jesus says, rather than going down that road of getting even, rather than going down the road of anger, venge, revenge, and bitterness, don't pay back. Don't pay back evil for evil. Don't do that. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, who on earth can live like this? Nobody can. I, don't, I really don't know what Mahatma Gandhi is talking about because if, if anything, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount depresses me. It doesn't cheer me up in any way, shape, or form because it reveals to me, first of all, the condition of my own heart, and secondly, it reveals to me I can't live this way without the supernatural help of God. I can't live this way. Well, Jesus gives us four examples of what it means to not resist or not fight or not challenge people who are evil. And here's the first example. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Hey, what do you want to do when somebody slaps you? You want to? Slap them back. Of course you do. That's the natural reaction. Someone comes up and punches you in the shoulder, you want to punch him in the head. You see how it escalates? Hey, hang on, I punched you in the shoulder. Why are you punching me in the face? Well, that's just our, our, our nature. And on and on it goes. And then you have blood feuds, and then you have people killing each other, and you, you have road rage. You cut me off. Oh, yeah, you're going to cut me off in traffic? I'm going to kill you. That sounds fair to me. That's how we are. It's really quite shocking. So Jesus says, if someone slaps you in the right cheek, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to kill you. Turn them the other cheek and, and then be done with it. Don't let it get a hold of your heart. Don't let it grip your heart. Let it go. Someone cuts you off, let them cut you off. Big deal. Jesus is saying it's not the end of the world if someone slaps you. Now, I've got to just remind you of something here because I'm giving you four examples of what it means not to react It's people who are nasty. I want you to follow the flow of Christ's argument and keep what I'm saying to you in perspective. You've got to keep it in context because the minute you take it out of context, that's when you, you come to a place of error. For instance... Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian author, uh, one, actually was one of my favorite authors. I really enjoyed uh, his, some of the stuff he's written. Um, 
he famously argued that based on what Jesus says here, do not resist the one who is evil. He said, therefore, there should be no police officers, there should be no soldiers, uh, there should be no magistrates because these people all resist, resist people who do evil. Well, it's absolute nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. It's taking this passage of scripture out of context. It's missing the grand point, the, the big picture. Of course we need police officers. Of course we need soldiers. Of course we need magistrates. We cannot take this passage out of context. What we're talking about is when people are rude to you, people are nasty to you, Jesus says, don't, don't fight them, don't engage with them, just let it go. One time I was driving along, with, this is when I was a youth pastor, all by myself, driving down Dale, and I saw a fight. And there's a, one lone boy on the ground, and there was a whole crowd of boys around. And one by one, they were just going at him. Now, what would you think of me if I pulled up and decided, well, I'm just going to watch because the Bible says don't resist evil? You would say, what kind of a Christian are you? Or worse, you'd say, what kind of a pastor are you? So you can imagine that I didn't just stand there. In that situation, I did resist those who were doing evil. All I had to do was yell at them, hey, get off that kid. And these, these were big boys. I mean, if they decided they were gonna turn on me, I'd, I'd be toast, I'd be dead. But I came along and broke it up. And that boy looked to me and said, who are you? And as I adjusted my cape, I said, I'm Pastor Allen. <laughs> I'm from Charleswood Gospel Temple, just across the perimeter, in case you're interested. Listen, Jesus is not saying that, that we should not have authorities in place to maintain our culture, to maintain order in our society. This is what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 13. Jesus is talking about you. He's not talking about, about your responsibility for the nation. He's talking about you and your heart and the condition of your heart and what goes on in your home and in your business and with the people that you're interacting with. He's talking about you as you're on the road driving. He's talking about you when you're at Superstore and someone's rude to you there. He's talking about you. And what do you do? That's the issue. In fact, all these examples that I'm sharing with you are all about you and your relationship to other people. Jesus is saying, don't engage with those who are being nasty to you. He's talking about your response to those who act wickedly towards you. And you have to follow the flow of Christ's argument or you're gonna to come to some wacky conclusions the way that Tolstoy did and the way that the pacifists do. The next example that Jesus offers is this example. So if someone slaps you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. It's not a big deal. It's not gonna kill you. And if anyone who would sue you and take your tunic, well, let them have your cloak as well. Now, every Jew knew that there is a, a law in Exodus 22, verse 26, that says that 
that keeping your garments is an inalienable right for every Jew. In other words, you could sue somebody, but you could not take away his tunic or his, or his cloak. You, you had to let him keep that. That was his no matter what. No matter what he owed you, but now Jesus comes along and he's saying, well, hang on a minute here. If they want to take your tunic, let them take your tunic. And while you're at it, give them your cloak because it's not the end of the world. You're not going to die. You can, get another, you can get another tunic. You can get another cloak. That's what Christ is saying here. And some of us, oh, I'm going to fight for every nickel, every penny. There's nobody who's not going to get away from. And, and, and here we are now fixated on that tunic, fixated on that car, fixated on, on that little bit of money that you lent them. They didn't give it back. And suddenly you find that God is no longer your God. Now you have an idol, and your idol is your possessions, your things. Jesus comes along, and he presents a brand new standard. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, for the people of God, you don't fight for your rights. You, you have no rights, Jesus says. Now, this is just crazy. I mean, who ever heard of such stuff? But remember, we're talking about you and your relationship to people and your relationship to God. This is not easy teaching. This is not easy to, to embrace. But it, it's, it's the Christian life. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. He says, if somebody has wronged you, don't take them to court. Don't, take, don't sue them. Let it go. It's just money. Don't enter into litigation with another follower of Jesus Christ. Just let it go. And again, you're saying, well, who on earth can live like this? Nobody can, unless you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to enable you to live as Jesus has called you to live. Here's how, here's how I deal with this. This is really important. When I became a Christian, I gave God everything I have. I don't have very much, but what I have, God, it's yours. It's your car, your house, your clothes. This is, this is not mine. It belongs to God. I don't know if it would fit him, but it's his. It's all, it's all his. And if for some reason God's going to allow my, my car to get crashed or get my bike to get stolen or my clothes to be wrecked or my house, whatever, it's his. I just got an email this past week from somebody who, who was rear-ended. They're driving their little Echo. Their car was rear-ended. And $7,000 worth of damage, the car was written off. And this person said to me, then I remembered something that you said. God, it's your car. Somebody crashed into your car, God. It's your problem, Lord. It's not mine. Hey, when you have that mentality, it's, it's your money. It's not my money, Lord. It's your car. It's your house. It's your clothes. Then suddenly, who cares? Because at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is whether or not the spirit of the living God is working in you and through you. That's all that really matters. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. 
someone wants to take your tunic, let him have it and give him the cloak as well. My God shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Then if you did, then you wouldn't get yourself all tight and in knots. Let it go. It all belongs to the Lord. The third example Jesus gives us, because he really wants us to understand this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In Jesus' day, the Roman soldiers, they had a practice of commandeering civilians. In other words, if the Roman soldiers walking along, he had lots of luggage, and who's going to carry it all? He would just get any passerby and say, here, carry my luggage for a mile. And Jesus says, if that happens to you, take it too. And if necessary, three or four, who cares? It's not the end of the world that's not going to kill you. Do it as unto the Lord. Do it joyfully. Do it cheerfully. Wow. Who can live like this? I can't. But I can in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about. I can go a mile. I can go two miles. It's not the end of the world. Hey, listen. It's very easy to feel hard done by. It's very easy to feel resentful. Hey, this isn't fair. And it's insulting. How dare you ask me? Don't you know I have rights? And Jesus says, no, you don't have rights. The only rights that you have are to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why he's called the Lord. Do what he says. And he says, go the extra mile and more if necessary. You're starting to understand this. And then there's the fourth example. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now look, at the issue here is not the wisdom or the foolishness of lending money to everyone who comes along because Proverbs tells us, well, it gives great advice about how you should manage your money. The, the question here is this, are you gonna be generous? For a lot of people, they're tight-fisted, they're penny-pinching, I'm not gonna give away a nickel, they're miserly, I'm not sharing, and you're in trouble, you're down and out because of your own choices in life, and you deserve to go through this, and this is the judgment of God, and this is the discipline of God, and you deserve to suffer. Jesus is absolutely opposed to that way of thinking. Someone begs from you, you've got the money, you can help, help them out. Don't refuse the one who would borrow from you, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus will not tolerate a miserly attitude. It's the moral equivalent of the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, Jesus says, give, share, help those in need. Are they ripping you off? Maybe, but that's not your problem. Remember, it's God's money. God, somebody here wants some of your money. And you give it because it's his. Do you know what? People, there's, I am owed thousands and thousands of dollars. That's right. And it's all God's fault. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You give it as unto the Lord and guess what? All my needs are met. I have a, a pink jacket and I've got nice boots to wear. And next week, I'll have nice shoes to wear. And the week after, nice runners to wear. All my needs are met. I, got, I have 
I have no need of anything. Why? Because it's my God who shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And if Jesus tells me to share, I'm going to share. I'm not going to be tight-fisted. Now, some of you here today are nursing a grudge. You're angry and bitter, and you are resisting those who are evil. Jesus says, don't resist them. Let it go. If they want to be nasty to you, let them be nasty, but don't get even. You know what I mean by nursing a grudge. You have this grudge against somebody. They've offended you. They've hurt you. They've abused you. They've taken advantage of you. And now you're nursing that grudge. You're feeding that grudge so that grudge will grow up someday and beat the tar out of that person who offended you. Jesus says, no, that's not what Christians do. We let it go. We don't resist those who are evil. We don't fight them. We don't challenge them. We don't oppose them. We just get on with our life and keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christians do. How? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said that the Sermon on the Mount is the law that makes us see our need for the gospel. Did you get that? The Sermon on the Mount is the law. It is the law. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes clear what the standards of God are. But in this law, we recognize, I can't live like this. I don't know what, what Mahatma Gandhi's coming up with here, but for me, I read this, and it, it just shows me how short I fall of the glory of God. Well, that's what Paul says in the Romans, isn't it? All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But the wages of sin is death. We are left hopeless when we read something like the Sermon on the Mount. We, so, we are so hopeless when it came, comes to, to keeping this word. So guess what? We don't glory in the teachings of Christ, and we don't glory in the Sermon on the Mount. This is why the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians, may I never boast, may I never glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world recognizes that Jesus is a great teacher, and they'll tell you that. And they'll even embrace him as a great teacher. And they'll declare the teachings of Christ are great and he was a great man. But I'm going to tell you today, the teachings of Jesus Christ condemn us because of our sin. And it's for this reason the Apostle Paul does not say, may I never boast in the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Sermon on the Mount. I boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because when you put your faith in the Christ who died on the cross for your sins, your sin is washed away and you receive the power of the Holy Spirit who enables you to live by the standard that Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus Christ has called us to live. You and I can't live this standard, but I can tell you, once you are surrendered to Christ, you can start living it. I'm getting better and better at this. I'm getting better and better at, at not resisting those who are evil. 
It's not easy, but I can tell you that it's possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I, I, I'm not perfect. I got a long way to go. You just ask Gloria, ask my kids, they'll tell you. But I'm getting better. That's the good news. The work of sanctification is truly transforming me and making me more like Jesus. So if you're here today and you're feeling discouraged, don't be. What you need to do is you need to be crucified to the world. In other words, you need to be dead to yourself. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to die to yourself and take up your cross and follow me. How do I know if you're dead to yourself? You're not resisting people who do evil. You don't care. Do it. If you want to slap me on this cheek, here's here's this one while you're at it. And I got a few more cheeks if you want them. (laughs) It's not going to kill me. You need money? Whatever. If I have some, I'll give it to you. I'm not going to panic about that. You and I need to learn what it means to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Don Davidson, after the first service, said, do you realize that the four examples that Christ gave us is exactly what happened to Christ at the crucifixion? Jesus turned the other cheek, didn't he? Think about that. He slapped his face and he turned the other cheek. They took his clothes and they gambled for them and they split them up. And when Jesus was carrying his cross to Golgotha, Simon the Cyrene was asked to to help Jesus carry that cross. When they came to Jesus hungry, he fed the, the multitude. This is what you and I need to understand about ourselves. We are to be Christ to a broken and hurting world. And when you and I are imitating Jesus, that's when we are our best. This is when we are at our greatest for the glory of God. This is when people sense and feel the supernatural, the divine. They feel God's presence because you are channeling the very person and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you today that the law, that the Sermon on the Mount shows us how weak we are, how much we fail, shows us how much we need the cross of Jesus Christ where our sins are washed away. The Sermon on the Mount shows us how much we need your spirit to dwell within us richly. We pray now, Father, that you would have your way in our lives and help us to live as Christ has called us to live, to turn the other cheek, to give whatever is being asked of us, to go two miles if necessary or three and to give to those who are asking. Lord, this is the way that we best reflect you, and this is the testimony that the world is looking for. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you in Jesus' name for the power to live the life 
that reflects Christ. And everybody said it with me. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.